0: Hey guys, Gary here. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to highlight our sponsor, Sports Engine. Sports Engine's dedicated to making the life of a youth sports volunteer easier. Through their applications, people are able to save time on administrative tasks, allowing them more time to focus on developing their athletes. More than a million teams, leagues, and clubs use Sports Engine every day to run their websites, promote their programs, and to collect signups. They also offer an easy solution for getting uniforms delivered directly to their athletes' homes. It's called Sports Engine Gear, and you can check it out at sportsengine.com forward slash gear to get started. Great. Now, onto our show.
1: listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Let's get into the show.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of On The Whistle, where I'm super excited to have on our show today, Digit Murphy. Digit Murphy is a native Rhode Islander. She was born and raised in Cranston, not too far from Squad Locker's global headquarters here in Warwick. Digit probably has too many accolades and accomplishments to mention, but I'm going to try and hit some of the highlights. She was a four-time letter winner as a female hockey player at Cornell University, where she was also captain her junior and senior year. And if I'm correct, I think you got two Ivy League titles there, Digit. We did. Later becomes head coach of Brown Women's Hockey, Brown University Women's Hockey, eventually becomes the single most winning D1 hockey coach of both men and women at the time. I don't know if that record still stands, but you held it for a period of
1: time. No, people have caught up. I left the game almost 12 years ago. So
0: So they they caught you, but they couldn't keep you while you were in the game. Um, (laughs) Digit's done a bunch of other really interesting stuff, as well as a head coach of the Chinese national Olympics, Canadians win women's hockey and, right now serves as uh head coach for the toronto six which is a national women's hockey league expansion team so digit super excited to have you on with us today
1: thank you i uh i'm actually the 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 coaching gig was actually secondary i first started out as the president of the club here in toronto so now i wear two hats kind of uh a la uh, maybe kind of a Belichick, you know, coaching GM. I'm the coaching president. So um, it kind of fits me. especially I love with it. COVID. But yeah, and then uh, just before I had you, I had a board call for our nonprofit, Play It Forward. So, you know, what we really try to do is elevate the conversation about women in sport. And I, I'm lucky enough to have a platform that's high enough so people actually, you know, respect what I do. But I think there's so many people in the world, especially women, women coaching, women you know, volunteering their, their time in the community, teachers that really are the champions in the community. I just happen to have the platform. So I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to support Squad Locker. I know a couple of our teams do. I think our team down in Tampa our Hurst stream museum, which is another thing that, you know, I'm, I'm active in is telling them in sports stories or telling them stories. So there's just a lot of things that digit Murphy does. My friend says you have a whole ecosystem. I'm like, I like that. I'm going to have to use that. So I have an Did ecosystem.
0: You, you just said, I have a platform because people respect me and respect what I do. What is it that you do that makes people respect you?
1: Well, I think that A, I'm one of the longest standing females in the sports world, just because of how long women's sports has, has been in, in, the, in the conversation. I mean, Title IX was 1972, right? In 1972, I was 11 years old, okay? I've been playing sports since I was 11 years old. And I've had the opportunity because of that statute to now go from high school athlete to college athlete to professional, to college coach, to professional coach, to president of a club. So just by virtue of the fact that I've been in the game for so long, I think I have a lot of experience and respect. So that's, that's kind of why, but a lot of it though, too, Gary is, um, is what sports teaches you, right? It's staying power, right? It's, how do you stay relevant, you know, when Brown drops you on your head when you leave in 2011? You know, I'm, I'm open about talking about that. You know, you, you come to the end of the road as a woman. You've been somewhere for 23 years. And now how do you stay relevant? How do you continue to thrive in adverse situations? And you know as well as I do, it's because of athletics. And that's why people should play sports. That's why people should have their kids play sports. It's not about the wins and losses. It's about the journey and what you learn as a result of it.
0: We'll get to wins and losses later because I have a great question that I try and ask all my guests on that. Um, there's a quote on your website. And for those of you who are interested, it's digitmurphy, D-I-G-I-T Murphy, murphy.com. And it says, creating opportunities for women to grow lead, and be successful in sports, work, and life. And you also have another quote that says, to make the world a better place, right? I think the world, make the world a better place is a really beautiful statement. And we share a similar philosophy in the sense that what we do is we try and unburden coaches and administrators so that they can invest more time in teaching and coaching and mentoring. Mm -hmm. And then- have a better relationship with the young people that they're responsible for caring for. Mm-hmm. And therefore, those young people have a greater sense of self-esteem and worth and then become more productive people in the world and the world changes and becomes a better place.
1: 100%.
0: And that's how we think about it. And it, it feels to me like you're sharing that philosophy when you say creating opportunities for women to grow, lead and be successful in sports and work life. I know you've had relationships with hundreds, if not thousands of athletes across your spectrum. Can you give us any stories Specifically of, uh,
1: but, (laughs) but
0: but pick, pick a couple highlights of somebody who you helped transform and, and you can give names or not, whether you think they'd be comfortable with that, but I'd love to know about this kid or that kid, this woman became this, and here's how I helped.
1: So first I want to back up and unpack what you just said about, um, what you guys do at Squad Locker, uh, because I think you made a great point. A lot of coaches, a lot of people that, you know, you're trying to help, they're not business people, right? So you need to outsource things like what you're doing, which is, you know, the apparel and whatnot and give them the best prices so that, and you know, let's face it, especially in women's sports, we have very minimal budgets. So thank you for, you know, doing what you're doing and, and trying to help, of course, all spectrums of sports, but particularly women. But as far as helping people, From day one, I think what I learned is that coaching is just, for me, it's teaching, right? And teaching is a blessing because you get to impact your wording, your messaging on a a young group of impressionable people, whether they're, you know, like Sinjin, when he was at our camp, when he was like, what, five, six years old, your son, we used to have like the daycare on ice, you know, all the way from, you know, college athletes, to professional athletes. So coaching is a blessing. So what I learned, though, is that now that I'm a parent, you know, I have six kids, is that if you coach them right, they have unconditional love for you, just like your children do. And what I say when you coach them right, is you coach them in a way that you're not impacting, you know, they're respecting you, but you respect them as a human being. And I think that not enough coaches and our educators kind of view their responsibility that way. So my take on whether i'm building an organization whether i'm coaching a team is to start with respecting each other and giving people a safe place now back in the day when you knew me at brown sometimes i was kind of a little more i was a little more of a hard ass you know i was very um you were
0: known you know, as tough and yeah. aggressive and 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 loud in a way that from the side like if digit yeah. was upset you'd be hearing about it
1: yeah. I mean, you know, and I used to always say on the ice, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling with you. Not yelling at you. yelling with you. But I'll tell you, I was yelling at those referees. But, you know, as I've, and you know, it's, it, it was fun, but I will tell you a story about back in the day when I was um, coaching this young woman named Christina Sorbara, and Christina, actually, she's from Toronto. I just had a, a little uh, beer with her the other night up here. I'm in Toronto right now. One of my, my most I don't want to say storied alums, but she's just awesome. She's an awesome human. So when I was recruiting her, she was one of those kids that was going to get into Brown probably either way. When you recruit athletes at the Ivy league, there's, you know, there's the athletes that are going to get in and there's the athletes that need a little help. And Christina needed no help because she came from a a great family. She had great education. She just had a great skill set. but with that, you know, she was not, she was like a third line player on my team, but you know, she she was like, really added a lot of grit, desire, just character kid, right? But when she was at prom, she would, you know, have a spin class to, you know, benefit breast cancer or whatever they used to do back then, like a walkathon. Like she would do everything, all these things. Like she was so philanthropic, which she still is now. She was involved in everything, took as many courses as she could. So by the end of her sophomore year, I had just brought in this massively big recruiting class, like really good players. And what I didn't want Christina to have is that was that, this was on my head, right? I'll tell you what was in her head at the time. I didn't want her to have the burden of the Digit Murphy, like boot camp mentality of Brown, right? I was like, this kid should go cure cancer, right? She should be doing massively important things like sports, is important but she's had enough life lessons man she can go out and do it so i said to her in our last meeting i said christina you know you're probably not going to play that much next year and i don't want you to be upset so you know no no offense if you want to quit you can quit she's like quit i am not quitting i can't believe you said that she just lit me up like she was so offended Mm. and she goes well what do you want me to do and she's got the pen out she's like you want me to get faster? Okay, I'll get faster. Like she just took the checklist, right? That summer, no joke. She got a strength coach. She got a skating coach. She got a stride coach. She came back in unbelievable shape her junior year. Not only did she make the first line, but she made the ECAC championship MVP of the championship game. Wow. And I'll never forget that we were in the locker room. And, you know, back then Brown was good, right? We had actually had press conferences and stuff at the end of a championship. And they said, coach, we need you up here. You got to go to the press conference, you know, bring your captain. I'm like, I'm not bringing my captain T-bone. Let's go. So we brought her up to the podium. And I told this story. I said, this day is not about me. It's about her. And then, you know, she became, you know, that was her, that was her day in the sun in sports, you know, just like in life. And I think it takes two things. I think it takes her recognizing how hard you have to work to get that first line spot, you know, executing that. But it also takes leadership that says you, we have an obligation to find them and catch them doing things right. And I don't think enough coaches make it about the players and not about themselves And that one thing will make the world a better place because you will now take your energy and focus it on the people and create that environment that they need to succeed, just like a classroom. And I don't think we do that enough in coaching. And I just, you know, I I talk, you know, I'm 59 years old, you know, Gary, you know, I've I've done this a long time. I'm not a taskmaster anymore. Last night, we're going to get team pictures and my kids come running in. They're like, I'm a late late coach. I'm like, chill, relax. No one's going to, you know, make you do sprints. I said, you're not late. I go, look at this. You want to be on time. And that's the key of coaching is not to make them punish for being uh, uh, late. It's to make them want to be early and on time. And that's the secret sauce. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy because there's a fine balance, you know. But anyways, I think this is the kind of new philosophy and methodology that's needed in this day and age, to coach. And I think coaches are having a hard time catching up because they consider themselves soft or whatever. So anyway, I'll shut up now because I could talk about this all day.
0: Digit, um, I had on a couple weeks ago a guy by the name of Jamie Monroe who is a Brown lacrosse player. He went to Moses Brown I know him and he's got a great story to tell, but he's really interested in investing in teaching through free play, Mm -hmm. which is... He lets kids play lacrosse and then gets them afterwards and says, see what you did here? How did you feel there? What did you learn when doing this? Because his thinking is that you discover more by experimenting and trying things on your own than just trying to mimic or parrot somebody who's saying this is the right way. Arm up, you know, shoulder in or left foot, right foot. So I'm just wondering, like when you start thinking about actual hockey coaching, the game itself and the skills around it, what's your philosophy on, on teaching the game of hockey?
1: Well, you bring up a really good point. And what he's actually doing is what you and I grew up in with, right? It's just going and We talked about and that. I mean, and my
0: kids, means. that didn't happen. So yeah. when I was a little kid, I grew up in Fall River and we used to invent a lot of games mm-hmm. with sticks and balls yep. and tree stumps And the gutter was this and the drain was that. Exactly. And then we were in trouble if we didn't. In the middle of the road that you had to move. Exactly. And so there was so little of that for my kids. Not that they didn't have time to be creative and have fun, but all of their sporting stuff was very regimented, structured, listened to the coach, you know, and it was a lot of that. And so the discovery piece didn't happen as easily for them.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I've evolved a lot as a coach and I think it's come with, um, with freedom. I think, I think the system, and you know, let's talk about, you know, everything that everyone's talking about. The system is the system controls the masses, right? The system needs to be shattered. The system, meaning government, the system, meaning, you know, the institutions of higher learning, uh, the NCAA, like all these places, they're the system, And they invoke these rules and regulations on you that you're pressured into putting onto your players, in my my opinion, which means you care about wins and losses. You care about how much revenue you're bringing in. And what that does is it doesn't focus on the experience of the athlete. So I'm not saying the coaches now are to blame. I'm saying that we need to rethink athletics. That's number one. Number two, personally, I've evolved because I'm not in the system anymore, right? When I left Brown, I became an entrepreneur. I became, and you know, and and even now, like, I'm in probably my first position where I'm making a livable wage in women's professional hockey. Congratulations. That's awesome. Well, well, China, China was too. So I'm upset. My second one, but my first one in the Western world, you know, Mm. because I think China is a whole different animal, right? But, um... But yeah, and, and, and the reason that I've had that freedom is because you know I had to parse out my money, right? I had to figure out, I had to parse out my, my person. So I worked for a junior team and I worked for the Boston Blades. So I had like thousands of different revenue streams coming in but I had to get a lot more creative. I had to get very much more in touch with my players and their needs. And it, it helped me a lot in my coaching. So now when I go on, I coach profe- Like, and the kids love it. The players love it because I call it, we unshackle you. You're not, you're not shackled by coaches anymore. You play for the love of the game. We play free hockey, We play free hockey. And by that, I mean like everything's kind of free. It's like, okay, you don't have to catch the puck on your backhand. If you can catch it moving forward, any way you want, and you're still generating speed good for you but if you keep trying to catch on your back end and exploding off guess what you're going to change behavior but it's much more forgiving and what happens is when you when it's much more forgiving you then let the players take the responsibility not you right so if I'm forgiving them for that behavior of the bad catching they're going to want to catch it the way they want to do it so you've you've taken the onus of the coach and put on player now I will say one thing in hockey you can do it in soccer you can do it it's a very free flow game right it's really difficult to play my kind of you know love wins you know love the game philosophy in a sport that is very methodical like because you have to have this game plan. You know, you can't, you have to be structured because you have to read ABC. In hockey, you're going, ABC, oh, shoot, the four is coming here, you can't read. So you've got to get, you've got to get really quick. You have to have great thinking skills. So you have to own the game. Now, I mean, a comparison would be a running back now that already has the ball, they can get creative, right? But the play that has to be called cannot be creative so there's distinctions in sports so anyway so as I've evolved as a coach I don't structure the power play anymore we do a lot of sm- small games like last night we're on the ice and we're teaching them creativity within structure so I'll give you an example I only have by the way eight players on the ice because of COVID I can only have eight players and two coaches we can only have 10 people so I'm like oh, hard everything's like in mini right it's hard so i go to the kids i go okay so we're gonna play this this game where you have three blacks on one side three whites on the other i only got one goalie right and i have to draw a midline kind of in the middle of the ice and you can only have two whites against the black when the blacks have the puck and if it crosses over and there's three whites you have two blacks defending so it's constant back and forth and then i say to them play 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 then we stop and we go okay now pretend it's a power play situation and you're on the half wall, you know? How do you guys figure out how to get pucks on net? And what you've done as a coach is you've taught them the freedom of playing that 2v3, 3v2 in the corner, and then you've put it into context, which is now you're in power play. So you see what I'm saying? So it's it's there's a methodology behind the freedom, right? And you give them something that they know and they can relate to. Even when I draw a drill on the board, I'll draw a drill. I'll be like, you've done this drill before, you've done it here, and here's the, the nuance of it. You know, it might be, we have two less people. And they're like, oh. And I think coach, and that's that's to my point before. It's not about me drawing the drill. It's me relating the drill to what they already know. So anyways, I mean, I, I love coaching and I can talk about it all day. I should have my own show. You should have a show. You should have a coaching show.
0: You should definitely have a show. Digit, I read a quote. <laughs> I read a quote somewhere in the Priest show research that said, women want permission Oh, yeah. that you said. You said yeah. women want permission to fill in the blank, right? And so what do you mean by women want permission and who do they want it from? And what is the impact of them wanting permission?
1: Ha! Great question. I love these questions. They always, so I come from a very different mindset. I always asked for forgiveness, not permission. So what I found- Is that the
0: Rhode Island Italian in you or is that just you? All day
1: long, baby. All day (laughs) long and me. I'm kind of, I think I've always been kind of this, um, I don't know, like- frustrated gang member person, you know, like I was always leading the charge, you know, in the, in the neighborhood. And, you know, I I always had the, you know, what was really cool growing up is that I really gender wasn't really noticed with me. And I think it's a combination of things. Um, I have a, a very, I'm very confident, like a, like a boy would be at my age. And I also was really good in sports. So, you know, what I found with boys is they don't judge if you're good, they don't care. If you can punch them in the face and you're the toughest, they don't care. So, you know, I just learned in that environment that I had to act like that. So I think that it just evolved as I got older. It's like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I can't do that. What do you mean? I can't play. What do you mean that, that, that's a bad call rep. That was terrible. And you know what? And I'll never forget. Like one day I was swearing and they're like, Oh, I'm so disappointed. I'm like, who are you? My father. I don't give a crap what you think. And I didn't use crap. Um, but you know, like, it's like women take less, they ask for less, they ask for permission. The ramifications of that though, is now, of course, a lot of people will say no to you and then you go away quietly, like a good girl, even if it's wrong. And we've been socialized to think like that as women, right? We've been socialized to, as a young girls to, okay, when I was growing up, wear a dress. I hate wearing dresses. I mean, I was angry from, from day one, right? We've also been socialized to behave you know um, we've been socialized not to break things you know we've been socialized potentially not to experiment with things because we you know we just don't want to cross that line. So there's there's two things about that though it's it's good and bad right because I think women think a lot about well not I think it's kind of bad because you manipulate now you learn you learn how to manipulate right when you can't get what you want, how do you manipulate a search, a situation to get what you want instead of really saying what you want? So I think that's one of the ramifications. That's
0: a power. That's a powerful piece of knowledge. Yeah. As opposed to being direct and managing it, and owning it, you're saying sometimes now a woman may feel like I can manipulate a situation to get to where I want I as want. opposed to using the direct path.
1: And it's bad, and it's bad because it's it's not it's not authentic. There's a false narrative created. There's implications like on other team members, which is why, Interesting. you know, which is why when I, I mean, I am brutal in the recruiting process because of that. Like, and you know, I'm like now people can ruin your organization. One person can ruin your organization if you don't have the right. People.
0: Every organization.
1: That's what I'm saying. So, so that's why it's crucial yep. as leaders in business and in sport. But I mean, it's, of course it's highlighted in sports because you know, in sports and, you know, wins and losses are counted. And, it, you know, it should be highlighted in business because that's life or death, putting your food on the table, but you know, yep. we don't kind of look at it the same way, by the way, I do corporate coaching too. So any of your blisters, they should, they should hire me
0: Digitmurphy.com. Um, <laughs> um
1: I actually did a gig with uh, one of my buddies at mass mutual Talked to her team. Like they love it. And also they should watch, uh, they should follow me on Insta digit Murf, at digit Murphy, 37 seconds. I do a whole title line thing, but anyways, so when we also ask for permission, it just puts us on the defensive all the time. It doesn't put us in the driver's seat. Like you, when you ask for permission, you are lesser than in a lot of ways, right? If you know, you're not taking charge, it's like, like if someone, instead of me saying, hey Gary, do you think I can? Hey Gary, you know, I think a good idea would be this. Like, let's think about that. Like that's a, two different ways to phrase it. Hey Gary do you think, could, could, we, could we please do this? You know, like, I don't know, like it just automatically puts you in the driver's seat to say yes or no, as opposed to you owning your idea, right? And being like, and, and convincing people that it's the right thing to do. And we need more women at the table taking that leadership role because you see what's happening to the planet right now. And I would say what's happening to the planet right now is that there aren't enough women at the table just thinking things through, there's half of the whole gender, half of your population in the world is missing in the conversation. And so then we're not getting true conversation when you don't have both sets of genders at the table, because there's two ways of thinking. There's two ways of perspective. There's two ways of experiential, uh, you know, it's just experiences. Like there's just so many things we're missing, which is another thing, reason why I'm passionate about women in the workforce and in getting women's, um, leaders at the table in corporate. So
0: did you, I asked this as a wrap up question to everybody that's been on my show and it kind of goes like this, uh, obviously you've played a ton of games, you've coached thousands of games, thinking back on it, what have you gained more from the wins or the losses?
1: Oh, well, of course that's easy. It depends. What, wait, financially <laughs> I gained way more from the wins. Now, uh, obviously, uh, this
0: question's yours to answer
1: the, the losses. Uh, that's a hard question. I think, I think I've learned more from the losses, but I've also learned honestly from the wins and the decisions that we make to get to the winning. Okay. A lot of people will say, Oh, I lost. I, I gained from the losses because it makes you better. You know What? what decisions have you made as a leader to make you win so I think that for me you know I'll never forget one of our final Clarkson Cup games our third liner actually scored the game winner right and I had the opportunity to put the because it's in overtime right so usually in overtime you shorten the bench and I said to myself "Ah," you know and and, you know this it could have been like The opposite, right? I could have lost the game, but I had this hunch about this kid. They were playing well the whole time. I'm like, yeah, no, you guys take a seat. Let's give the third line a chance. And they ended the game right there. And like, you know, those kind of championship moments and the decision you make as a coach, they're very few, right? They're very few, very few people win championships, right?
0: They're designed that way.
1: And I know. And I, I just like some of those decisions to me, I, I'm pretty pretty happy that they came out like they did, and uh, they're the only ones that can reinforce that. You know, you made it, you you did a couple of things right, but I think overall, um, you know, winning winning is sweeter.
0: Digit, um, I've asked that question now to to everybody on the show. There's only two people that said the wins, and they were both hockey people. Digit Murphy, <laughs> Digit Murphy, and Jamie Rice from Babson.
1: Yeah,
0: you were both. It's the wins. I like your perspective, which is, it was decisions that I made to get me to the wins is what I
1: learned the most from, but but from the kids too, like from the players, it's like the decisions you make and and it's always along the way too. It's not just think about it. Winning a championship is decisions all the way through the season, right? That's the secret sauce. You know, in 2002, when we went to the final four and we went 19, one and one, Whereas before we have like we were like two and five. What decision did we make after that Mercyhurst road trip that clicked the switch? That was magical. Did we win the NCAA championship? No. But to get us there, we went 19-1-1. One one. Wow. No one does that. You know? I, I think it might be 19-0-1. I don't know. They, we were like undefeated going. It was crazy. But, you know, we, we just, they flipped the switch. So anyways, I like the winning. Winning.
0: Digit, you're an inspiration and a friend, and I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. And I'm grateful to have the content shared with the people that matter to us in our community. So if people want to know more about you, it's digitmurphy.com. What's your Instagram handle
1: again? At Digit Murphy. I'm at Digit Murphy everywhere. Um, Insta, Twitter, everything, Facebook. You know, I and I, and I want to thank you for supporting Digit Murphy back in the day at Digit Murphy hockey school over at Brown with the kids, uh, you know, and all St. John and, uh, what was your, what's your other son's name?
0: Well, we got St. John Jude, who Jude. became a pretty darn good lacrosse goalie. And then my daughter honor, who is now oh, a, a freshman yeah. over at Drexel.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, it's crazy.
0: And it's, it's been a lot of fun and, um, I know all of my children who have been lucky enough to experience great coaching and great mentoring by people like you or their other teachers in their lives it makes a huge impact, particularly for parents who need to share the journey with other great minds because going it alone is hard. You know, going it alone is really hard. So that when you're lucky enough to have your child get exposed to a thought leader, or as you described early in the show, someone that shows them the respect and love so that they can feel safe Yeah. so that they can just grow.
1: Yeah. It's and I think
0: it's if, up. if, and if I look at your career, I think it's a lot about space and growth yeah, and I, a lot of fire too. a lot of fire in the brand still.
1: Yeah, baby. Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, I do, I do call Digit Murphy, the gardener of women's sports, you know, I, I love it kids and watch them grow. So uh, anytime you want me on, I'm on, Thank you. Good luck with Squad Locker. It's a great place. I should to buy their stuff at Squad Locker. <laughs> Thanks,
0: Digit. Much love to you in Toronto.
1: Thanks. See you guys. Take care, buddy. You've been listening to On The Whistle. For more, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit us at onthewhistle.com.